This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and really excited to once again, I think this is the third or fourth consecutive year, to be joined by special guest Joe Dolan of Fantasy Points. Joe, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Well, it's good to be with you. Um, I'm sorry about uh, this being a little later than we originally intended, but uh, a, a, a good man can admit when uh, when he's messed up. I just let it slip my mind. And I mean, uh, maybe I can say because it's busy, but I'm just glad you've been flexible enough to have me back on the podcast because I would have been very disappointed if we weren't able to reschedule. Well, always thrilled to have you here and you know, talk some rookies, and, and now we even got our the first NFL game under the belt, the Hall of Fame game last night taking place as we record this on Friday. So let's jump right in. You know, most of rookie drafts are done, but we still got a redraft. We got best ball. Maybe somebody still got a rookie draft or a startup dynasty coming. So we're going to be talking about these rookies a little bit, picking your brain. I've been starting mostly at the quarterback position previous episodes. So let's start the pass catchers so so they get some due justice. And let's start the wide receivers. I've been asking all my guests that come on, same question to kind of start to kind of see where different uh, people who evaluate and do this are. Jackson Smith and the Jigba, he was my favorite wide receiver coming out. I think he was a lot of people's top wide receiver. Yeah. But the the value in him, right now I still have a hard time seeing the value in redraft leagues. Dynasty leagues, I'm all in. I think he could be, I think in college he was the Cooper Cup version. We'll see if that level of success translates, but I think that's how he won at the collegiate level. We'll see how it translates. But Every time I look at ADP, and I haven't checked it over the last week or two, so maybe it started to fluctuate, but Jackson Smith and the Jigba going ahead of Tyler Lockett, I, I'm a little bit reluctant for, obviously, this year in that regards. So maybe start with Jackson Smith and the yeah. Jigba. Immediate production, long-term, what, what's your take on Jackson Smith? So the thing about Smith and Jigba going ahead of Lockett in, in drafts, and I think maybe you might be referencing underdog. I don't know if in home leagues in J- Smith and Jigba is going to carry such gravitas, uh, but maybe people like shiny new toys as well. Tyler Lockett has been one of those players who throughout my years in the fantasy industry, I don't think ever has been valued correctly. Like, I just don't think anybody's ever, oh, you know, the the they're a low-volume passing team, and DK Metcalf is the alpha, and then the no, no, now they drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Jas- Jackson Smith and Jigba, is, as Jackson Smith and Jigba is wont to do, is impressing in practices and camps. I do not have a lot of Jackson Smith and Jigba in best ball. I really don't. Um, I haven't been drafting a ton of the Seahawks in general. Just, I wonder if that's just one of those weird things, how draft boards are falling to me. It's not like I'm overweight on Tyler Lockett, but I'm definitely underweight on Smith and Jigba, and you know, I talked to Michael Sean Dugar of The Athletic for my Franchise Focus podcast series up at FantasyPoints.com, and we were talking about Smith and Jigba, and he was like, yeah, you know, and I didn't ask for a statistical projection, but he was like, you know, 35-40 catches might be a really good rookie year for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I thought that was low, personally, um, but the fact that that was what somebody who covers the team would consider a good rookie year for him indicates that at practices or from what they're hearing from the team and what they're observing, what they're seeing is that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are so clearly above Smith and Jigba right now. Now, do I expect him to be on the field in three wide receiver sets frequently? I do. Maybe we're writing Tyler Lockett's epitaph a little bit too soon. The thing, So I'm trying to balance this. 
with one of my one of my adages that I think a lot of people subscribe to. I'd rather be a year early than a year too late uh, on getting off a player train. I managed to execute that well last year with Adam Thielen, who has been one of my favorite fantasy receivers for years based on his value versus his production. I'm a little scared to go out on Tyler Lockett just because he's always been productive. And this year, you really don't have to invest a lot into Tyler Lockett to get him. But to me, Smith and Jigba going ahead of him in redraft is a little insane to me. Uh, Maybe a lot of insane to me. And the only reason I I don't think it's completely off-kilter is because of how good a prospect he was. On the other hand, as good a prospect as he was, I don't think he was a Jamar Chase, and certainly not a Jamar Chase-level prospect because teams didn't draft him as such. You know, teams didn't view him as the same level of prospect as Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. Now, all of those guys have thousand-yard receiving seasons under their belt. If Jackson Smith and Jigba doesn't become as good as Devontae Smith, he could still be an exceptional NFL receiver and a good fantasy receiver. It's just that I don't know if he had the alpha-alpha prospect profiles, considering he fell to 20th in the draft. It's a weird situation for me. I think this is a team that passed heavier than we're used to seeing from them in the past because they trust Geno Smith. Um, but I just don't like him being drafted ahead of, of Tyler Lockett in redraft. Yeah, and you make a really good point there. Like that the way the NFL viewed Jackson Smith and the Jigba, I think was definitely different than maybe draft Twitter and the public did. Because like yeah. when you stop and think about it, like I'm a, I'm very pro Jahan Dotson. I love them coming out of Penn State. I, I'm a big fan. But when you think about it, if someone were told you two years ago Jahan Dotson's draft slot in his NFL draft was going to be ahead of Jackson Smith in the Jigba's draft slot. No one would ever really have thought that, right? But, but Dotson, I forget, I think he was 16, 16 or 17 when the Redskins, uh, when the Commanders took him that year. Yeah. So, like, it's one of those things where it's a little bit of an interesting dynamic that nobody felt the need to trade up for Jackson Smith in the Jigba or any of the other wide receivers. They let them kind of come to them in that slot where they went off four in a row. So why don't we why don't we take this to the other guys who came up came off the board after Jackson Smith in the Jigba? Do you have a clear preference for redraft, and is the guy who you prefer from redraft the same as who you'd want to invest most in in Dynasty? Yeah, so I think that's an interesting conversation that you have to make because it's how do you view Dynasty? And I'm sure there are Dynasty hardcores who would completely disagree with me on this, but I found it really difficult to evaluate a dynasty team more than two or three years down the line with yeah. how much changes in the NFL. And I almost wonder if there's a closer relationship between redraft and dynasty than is reflected in like average dynasty rankings. Because ultimately, somebody's going to win the league this year, your dynasty league. And if your team wins the league this year, barring it being an LA Rams kind of situation, right, where you literally just sold all of your assets just for one run with a, with a bunch of older players, then my guess is you're going to be a contender next year. Maybe not on the same level, but you're probably going to be a contender. So I view redraft and dynasty rankings, no, they're not the same. They're absolutely not the same. But I view them maybe a little bit tighter than the average fantasy player would. And so I think it's interesting that you might consider the fourth and final of the first-round wide receivers to be drafted this year 
to be maybe the best for redraft, and that being Jordan Addison. We know there's a role here for him. Now, we also heard um, the Vikings love K.J. Osborne. I talked to Matthew Collar, um, who covers the Vikings for a podcast, and he was like, look, they love K.J. Osborne. Does that mean K.J. Osborne's a 70-catch receiver? Not necessarily, but they know he's going to play. But, I mean, look at what Adam Thielen has meant to that team. Look at what Kirk Cousins... The Vikings, I, I call them... Paul, you're, you're aware of this... Um, the Vikings are like one of those teams like the Eagles, like the Bengals, that I call a narrow fantasy team. They're a team that throws the ball to its good players. Arthur Smith, take note here, buddy. <laughs> um, you can play fantasy football and win football games at the same time. Um, and Jordan Addison is a first-round re- receiver. They're moved on from Adam Thielen. Who's to say Jordan Addison doesn't come in there and is one-to-one in terms of target share? And maybe because Adam Thielen was slacking off in yards per route run, um, something that uh, obviously is a is a pretty universal statistic, but we actually chart ourselves over at the Fantasy Points data suite. Um, maybe Jordan Addison comes in there. Who's to say he's not better than Adam Thielen year one? So I actually view Jordan Addison as the best of the rookie wide receivers for redraft. And if he's the best for redraft, is he getting underdrafted in Dynasty is my question. Yeah, it's a it's a legitimately really good question because I do think the the shift over the last X amount of years, whatever number we want to put at it, has started to make people be a little bit more narrow minded in dynasty leagues. And I think when you know when people first started the concept of dynasty leagues, they were thinking five, six years out. And we know now, we see it's not even just the the running back position. We know that fluctuates beyond quickly. But like, go back and look at the wide receivers ranked two years ago, three years ago. A lot of it changes, not all of them. Some of the elite guys are still the elite guys, but more changes than I think people would think in a short two to three year window. So like when you're talking about you can get the production of the highest guy in redraft. Well, if you're already getting that in year one, that's already a bonus that you might not be getting from, say, Quentin Johnson. If you're concerned that in year one, you know, with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen there, you know, he's he's not going to be a focal point. You know, so there's way to think of it. If people still believe in Rashad Bateman, I'm not a Bateman believer, but there, I know they're still out there. You know, that might hold people back from from going all in on Zay Flowers. So I think I think it's it's something that people should be cognizant of that you, you really even got the other positions have to narrow the window when you're talking re, uh, dynasty compared to redraft. Because I just don't, I think you're right. I think the window, you know, and the correlation is not as far off as I think people seem to think it is when we're talking general strategies and stuff like that. And I think you make some really good points there. Uh, any quick thoughts on, on Zay or, or Quinton Johnson? Is there one between those two that you like a little bit more? Um, I feel like Quinton Johnson is more talented. Um, Zay Flowers just happens to be a guy I was picking at the end of um, of a lot of my rookie drafts. Humble brag. Uh, I was picking <laughs> at, in, in the back half of, of a lot of my rookie drafts. Zay Flowers was just a guy who landed there for me. And my whole thing was, what if the Ravens start playing offense a bit differently? Now, our um, our Ryan Heath at Fantasy Points did some research that said, you know, Lamar Jackson was by far, like, way more efficient um, than the average quarterback with just one wide receiver sets on the field. But the average quarterback also, his fantasy points per opportunity is much higher when there's two and three receivers on the field. And Baltimore did not have functional wide receivers left. So I, I, but I think criticizing Greg Roman is completely fair. I, I mean, I thought that offense got stale, it got easy to defend, but to, to suggest that Greg Roman had the proper personnel to run 
a more modern NFL offense is just not true. They just didn't have the receivers last year. They do have them this year. And if you want to be, you know, you say you don't necessarily believe in in Rashad Bateman. Well, all right, let's say, let's be cynical on Rashad Bateman. Let's be cynical on Odell Beckham, who really, like, his best, like, literally, we did this research. Odell Beckham's best years basically all came in the Obama administration. Like, that's two presidential administrations ago. Like, I mean, he hasn't been really good in six, seven years. So let's be cynical on those guys. There is a pathway towards Zay Flowers leading the Ravens wide receivers, wide receivers, uh, it because Mark Andrews is their number one receiver. But there is a pathway to him leading their wide receivers and targets. Yeah, and I and I think that's I think that's a completely valid position to have. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like it's going to be interesting when you're. I feel like for this year, when you when you look at Zay, you're you're almost have to judge Zay by what you feel about Bateman and on an Odell. Like you just said, mm-hmm. if you if you if you think those guys can bounce back, then you probably are fading Zay. If you think you know they may not be all in on Bateman, or he's just not he's he's not going to do what we thought originally, and Odell's just a guy at this point, then you should be in on Zay because I think. I think the pass volume is probably going to be up. I, I think you're going to see more pass attempts. So it's one of those things that you almost got to take a stand on other players on the uh, on the depth chart to then make a stand on where you kind of lay uh, with Zay. I've asked this to a lot of people who've been on, and when I say give me one or two names, day two wide receivers, it usually is John Domingo and Rishi Rice of the guys that most intrigue people. Do you kind of... Are you with in line with that, or is there anybody else from the day two rookie wide receivers that you might say, you know what, this guy I should I would have right near Mingo and Rice, oh. or maybe even ahead of that? And here's a guy I've been drafting in a lot of redraft, and you know I don't think I don't think getting into day two wide receivers in redraft is is really always like a smart idea. Maybe the high second rounds we've seen guys like T Higgins and. And and Michael Pittman in years past, you know, come out and produce right away. I'm on Ross St. Brown was actually a day three receiver. Um, but the guy who I have been drafting a ton of, and it is strictly an opportunity thing, but also because he impressed our team that we sent down to Mobile to the Senior Bowl is Michael Wilson. Um, he was a third round pick out of Stanford, dealt with some injuries at Stanford. Um, but he goes to the Arizona Cardinals. Their tallest wide receiver on the roster in their projected top three is Hollywood Brown, who is five foot nine. The only other guy they have with size is Zach Pascal. And I think you know Zach Pascal at this point is that he's a number four kind of receiver. He blocks, you know, he can get do stuff in the red zone. Michael Wilson's been making plays at camp, but even before he was making plays at camp, I was drafting Michael Wilson. And look, there's opportunity here. DeAndre Hopkins is gone. That team is lined as the worst team in the NFL. Ergo you would think that that team's going to be playing from behind quite a bit. And there is only one guy on that roster who has Michael Wilson's skill set. The size, the outside kind of receiver, the contested catch kind of receiver. He's an 18th round pick on underdog fantasy. He's a third round pick in rookie drafts. I mean, if I'm going to be trying to throw a dart at one of these guys and understanding that you can evaluate a player, and you can be higher on a player. Oh, I can't believe this guy was a fourth-round pick. Maybe you really liked Amon Ross St. Brown a couple years ago and couldn't believe he was a fourth-round pick. You stuck to your guns, and you got him in every rookie draft. You're reaping the benefits right now. 
But I think one of the things you can really look at and just kind of be agnostic and say, you know what, what if my player evaluations do suck? Or what if, what, if the, what if there's really no correlation between my player evaluations and fantasy production? Look at the available opportunity Michael Wilson has here. Not only, like, Hollywood Brown I'm drafting quite a bit of, but he's always, he's always had injury problems. He's had drop problems. Rondale Moore's been a huge bust. Greg Dorch is maybe better at being Rondale Moore than Rondale Moore is. There is no Alpha X receiver on that team. And Michael Wilson, at the very least, could get an opportunity to be that. So that has been one of my favorite under-the-radar wide receivers. And, and I'm, I'm a little surprised the hype hasn't started to take off. And maybe it's completely because, maybe it is just completely because people think the Cardinals stink. And that's very fair. And they don't know what to do with Kyler Murray. But I'm willing to take that opportunity on somebody who's getting drafted in the 18th round of underdog draft. Yeah, Michael Wilson's an interesting one. And I think part of it is he wasn't a guy who was a Debbie darling in the Debbie community. He played out on the West Coast. He didn't get a lot of national attention. So I think when you combine that, where he didn't have gaudy stats because he just didn't play a lot in college, and then you added where he landed, it's kind of like almost for making people forget that he has pretty good draft capital and yeah. a pretty good landing spot. And, and I think that's where he's kind of been falling through the cracks a little bit. Really interesting. We take this to the other pass catchers, the tight ends. Obviously, four guys taken, I think, in like the top 42 picks. All of them, there's kind of an opening for, for most of them to be readily involved early on this year. Anybody that you can see maybe hitting, you know, listen, we, we know that area. Once you get to like tight end 10 to like tight end 24, everyone's kind of the same and you're hoping for a touchdown. Is there anybody that you think could emerge from that group of four rookies this year that maybe could become more consistently fantasy relevant in, in year one, or you think most of those guys consistency wise, it's a little bit more of a long play for maybe down the line. Yeah. Um, I think it's easy to say that Sam Laporta has got the best shot. Um, Dal- Dalton Kincaid's getting drafted way ahead of Sam Laporta in best ball, but just for argument's sake, Sam Laporta's, I mean, he's got a, um, a- an opportunity. I believe the lions lost one of the Zilstra's at tight end. I think he just got hurt. Um, so that even opens up more of an opportunity for Sam Laporta to take over as a starter. But I do kind of want to focus on Luke Musgrave um, because Jordan Love's going to be a new quarterback here. Um, and sometimes new quarterbacks start to prefer new receivers, guys you might not anticipate. I am in on Christian Watson this year, Paul. I I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are. And I think for good reason. His efficiency metrics were absolutely off the wall last year. He hasn't gotten it done with volume yet, though. But the rest of that receiving core, Romeo Dobbs, solid player, like him a lot, apparently has made strides, but not a proven track record. Jaden Reed is a rookie. Dontavion Wicks is a rookie. Samari Torre, it was a seventh round pick last year. And then to get to the tight ends, the top two projected are both rookies in Musgrave and, and, um, and Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. Josiah DeGuara is still there, but maybe he's more of an H-back kind of fullback type. Musgrave, I would not be surprised if he manages to stay healthy. He becomes a Jordan Love favorite down the seam and in the red zone. And he becomes that guy who you were just saying, look, tight end 8, 9, 10. What's the difference between them and tight end 18, 19, 20? Maybe not a whole lot. And maybe he just becomes one of those guys who stands out with touchdowns. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Musgrave, who was my favorite of the group of tight ends. 
He was my favorite one. I still think the ceiling for him is higher than just about any of them. I think the interesting thing was, and I don't do like 20 or 30 rookie drafts. I only do a handful. But to me, the, the disparity in where where the tight ends were going in rookie drafts from Musgrave to the other guys was I was surprised at just how wide it was. Because I really don't think that the ceiling scenarios for those guys or even the immediate scenarios led to the discrepancy in terms of that. So I'm right there with you. I really am intrigued by Musgrave. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Maybe the Tucker Craft being drafted scared people a little bit because we've seen teams when they double dip tight end, sometimes the second one in Baltimore a couple times, right, yeah. uh, ha- has turned out to be the better one. But but I, I'm intrigued by Musgrave. I'm glad you brought him up because most of the times that I've been bringing on people asking about the tight ends, that's not the name that, that we've been talking about. Let's shift this over to running backs. I've been asking this question to everybody. Answers have been different. B. John for this year. Is he your RB2, RB3, RB4? Where where are you falling on the BJ, uh, the Bijan uh, redraft value? Because I know it's it's, yeah. it's early, but everyone's kind of a little different in terms of how early. Uh, he's my RB2. Um, I have him just slightly ahead of Eckler. And like this is one of those situations where I always have to tell people, if I had, let's just say I had the seventh pick in 10 straight uh, drafts, um. And your your directive to me was you have to pick either Bijan Robinson or Austin Eckler. I think it's very important to realize where there's a tier shift. And while I might personally prefer Bijan Robinson, I don't think I'm smart enough or have enough conviction to sit here and say, oh, I'd take Bijan Robinson 10 times out of 10 over Austin Eckler or nine times out of 10 over Austin Eckler. That's probably a 6-4 or 5-5 situation for me. So it is a very narrow line between those two guys. But Paul, is it going to is it going to surprise you if Bijan Robinson is the RB one this year? Should no, I, I actually think it's going to happen. I almost think uh, it's one of those scenarios that a year from now, you you talked before sometimes trying to get out a year early. I also yeah. think in in this scenario with the rookie running backs, sometimes their value because they are rookies. People are don't want to be all that. I mean, we can't get much higher for Bijan, right? RB three, I think, is where his ADP is. But I think in a year from now. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the definitive RB1 in drafts. Yeah, and, and maybe like, okay, who's next? I, I think that's where this could be headed. Just out of curiosity, where do you have him in terms of the wide receivers? Like, you have a lot of wide receivers you're taking over B. John and redraft, or is it just a, a few handful? I mean, so, one handful. Let's go here. I have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyree Kill, Cooper Cup ahead of him right now. And then, of course, I'm going to wait to see what the situation is with Cup. Um, Maybe you can move uh, Bijan past Cooper Cup. Maybe you can maybe move A.J. Brown past uh, Cooper Cup. But yeah, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, uh, I have I had it ahead of Bijan right now. Yeah, so you're having him in like that top six, top seven-ish range. And I do have Kelsey ahead of him too, but like the one thing I always struggle with Kelsey is, and I have struggled with this since the day I entered the fantasy industry when Gronk was a first-round pick. I, I struggle with the optics of my team when I draft a Kelsey in the first round. And 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 I know that goes against all the statistics that show how dominant he is from a fantasy perspective, but sometimes you just feel better about drafting a receiver or running back in the first round. Yeah, I I I I totally get that. And then, you know, sometimes we fall back on, oh, we can get that tight end that has that year that we're not expecting him to be in the relevant category and, and maybe we can find that guy. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, next one clearly th- to talk about. You know, obviously we know he's going to be splitting work with Montgomery. I feel like an investment in Jameer Gibbs 
is some people are willing to be like, listen, I know he's going to lose some touchdowns to David Montgomery. I know he's going to lose some work to David Montgomery. I don't care. I still want to be all in. He may catch 80 passes. They they wanted him badly. Are you on that camp of Jameer Gibbs and you're ready to go in or are you a little bit more conservative? No, nah, and by the way, this is a team... Let's talk of the relationship that I mentioned between Dynasty and Redraft already. This is a team that had two top 20 fantasy points per game running backs last year, and they replaced them both. So did they get better? Maybe. Did they Did they just kind of stay the same? Possibly. But it's very clear that they wanted somebody to be DeAndre Swift, and they didn't trust DeAndre Swift to be DeAndre Swift. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what they saw Jameer Gibbs is doing. I think what that indication was is the last couple years, um, DeAndre Swift had an opportunity that they don't think he seized, but we saw the upside of that role, Paul. Like, DeAndre Swift had some absolute blow-up games, including this past year, some blow-up games. I blew up in week one against Philadelphia. He actually got hurt at the end of that game. But I think I am in on Jameer Gibbs, and I think Montgomery is fair at uh, is fairly priced as well. Yeah, I, I think I think they told us what they believe in him, and I I'm going to believe that coaching staff, offensive you know coordinator there, probably a future head coach somewhere, very creative. I think they have a role in mind, and like you said, they did that with Swift last year, and they didn't really seem to all that much like DeAndre Swift, and he still was that valuable and viable. So now you you replace him with a guy that they do seem to be heavily invested in. Uh, I think there's more than enough there to go around. Let me ask you this question with Zach Charbonnet, because I think it's a fascinating question from a dynasty or even a redraft perspective. If there's no Zach Charbonnet, and let's assume Kenneth Walker's fine health-wise sooner rather than later, he's probably going in what? The mid-second round? Late se- I mean, I don't even know where the ceiling like, would have been. For yeah. Like, how hard is it to, from what we thought we were going to be doing with Kenneth Walker, to adjusting then to the pick of Zach Charbonnet. Like how is it like for you who like is ranking all these guys and, and you guys are putting everything together there at fantasy points. Like was that like a, a, a pretty debatable conversation of what do we do now with Kenneth Walker based on the Zach Charbonnet pick? Well, I made an evil noise when, when Seattle drafted <laughs> Zach Charbonnet because I actually traded up in a startup dynasty to get Kenneth Walker um, last year. Um, and Kenneth Walker kind of did exactly what I expected him to do. Big play running back um, who could still get it done at the goal line. Um, and look, I, I here's what I think, though. There was the game last year, I think it was against the LA Rams, um, where Kenneth Walker got hurt. I think Travis Homer was unavailable. DJ Dallas in that game gets hurt, goes down with a, with a high ankle sprain. They are so banged up at running back that DJ Dallas, who was running at 20% on a high ankle sprain. You know, I, I mentioned my, my interview with Michael Sean DeGar, and he said, I saw DJ in the, in the locker room after that game, and he was a warrior. He could not walk. And he had to play on, he had to play on that ankle just so they could have a running back, so they could run an offense. And, I think Pete Carroll might have just saw that and said, that's not happening to me again. I am not going to, like, I am going to make sure I have multiple talented running backs in this backfield because I cannot run my offense without a functional running back. I, like, I wonder if that's the simplest explanation for the whole thing. Yeah. And, I, I, I mean, I did kneecap Walker, but I'm not drafting a ton of Charbonnet. I, I just, 
and the, the only thing that gives me pause is they're very different backs. And sometimes coaches prefer a guy like Charbonnet who gets you four when four is blocked as opposed to a guy like Walker who two times might get you two when four is blocked. The other two might get you 15 when four is blocked. So it, it, it's a stylistic difference. I just think, I wonder if Charbonnet is going to come in and disrupt the flow of Kenneth Walker, which really sucks. Yeah, because I, I, I was a big fan of Kenneth Walker. I was not nearly as 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 in on Charbonnet, even in the pre-draft process. I had him lower in my ranks than, than most of the consensus that was out there. But it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they play. So from the other running backs, and you said Charbonnet, you're, you're kind of not in on. Is there any of the other guys from the, the day two, the Kendra Miller, Ty J. Spears, uh, Devin A. Chain, assuming Dalvin Cook's not heading to Miami. Is there any of those guys that you're a little intrigued with uh, for this year? Yeah, um, Kendry Miller, I want to see if he can get a receiving role if Alvin Kamara is suspended. A. Chain is is obvious. Um, Tank Bigsby is the one where I think Jacksonville, you know, I I think the way people viewed Travis Etienne coming out of Clemson, I think they viewed him as more of like a almost like a Jameer Gibbs kind of player. They haven't used him that way, or at least Doug Peterson didn't use him that way. He didn't catch a he didn't catch more than three passes in a single game last year. And then our guy, you know, Scott Barrett went back and looked and and saw that, you know, it's not like ETN at Clemson was running complex routes. He was really getting screens and dump offs. Maybe he's not a great receiver. But I also do wonder if drafting Tank Bigsby, who whose name actually is a pretty decent um is a pretty decent indicator of what style of player he is. I wonder if that opens up more of the passing down work for Travis Etienne, um, which could make this frustrating for fantasy, but I wonder if Bigsby's going to have a role. Doug Peterson has always rotated his running backs, and they tried to do it last year uh, until it, it was basically proven that James Robinson couldn't move anymore. So I wonder if Tank Bigsby's going to be a guy who's going to come in there and usurp a role right away in yeah, and and again, I've talked about this on on my pod here a lot. That like there seemed to be this misunderstanding of who Travis Etienne was coming out. He was never a good receiving back. He caught like like flares and screens, and that's who he was. Yeah. And he he's not really a great receiving back. He just was asked to do it his last year at Clemson a little bit, but it wasn't really much receiving. It was just more like dump offs, like not like a guy like who impacts the game as a high level receiver. So I think if he starts to lose some. In, lose third down work and and you know everything with tank bigsby he's been catching the ball while and he's a good pass protector it's going to be interesting and i like bigsby a lot too he was my number five back i liked him more than guys like charbonnet in terms of my film uh so so it's gonna be interesting because i was i was pro bigsby as well jody got time for two quick quarterback questions yeah for sure okay so anthony richardson most of my questions to you, you 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 seem to be pretty pro in on some of these rookies where do you stand on Anthony Richardson this year in terms of where you're willing to take him in terms of like in the quarterback pecking order and with the uncertainty of Jonathan Taylor? I think you can go either way with this. And the last guess, we, you know, went one way. I'll see if you go a different way. Do you think Jonathan Taylor not showing up if he if he legitimately does not show up for week one? is a good thing or a bad thing? Because I do think he can be spinned either way of, oh, maybe more rushing capabilities, but also potentially a worse offense. Where do you kind of sit on those two Anthony Richardson questions? I'd say I think it's more of a bad thing if Jonathan Taylor doesn't show up. Um, I, I thought, and, and this is where I feel for Shane Steichen in this whole thing, because I thought he probably was thinking, man, I've got a great running back. I can help isolate and insulate 
uh, insulate rather my my rookie quarterback, you know, who and they're going to help feed off of each other. Um, so I do think it's a bad thing for Richardson. Here is the deal with Richardson. I do not begrudge anybody drafting him as like, a, I think he's, he's QB 11 on underdog. I don't begrudge anybody drafting him as like a top 10. This guy's a league winner. And if I'm highlighting, if I'm highlighting somebody who can break leagues in fantasy, you know, the way Lamar Jackson did a couple years ago, the way Jalen Hurst did a couple years ago, the way Josh Allen did a couple years ago, when all of those guys were pretty cheap for fantasy, Richardson is probably one of your last opportunities to do that in, in drafts this year. So I don't begrudge anybody for, for drafting him. It just feels like somebody is drafting him before I'm willing to take it. Like, oh, oh, uh, here's the seventh round. Uh, you know, I, I like my team so far. This might be a spot where I draft Anthony Richardson and then just somebody just drafts him before I do. So it always feels like there's somebody who's a little bit higher on Anthony Richardson than I am. Whereas I always feel like I'm higher on Bryce Young than most everybody else is. And I understand why. He, he's not going to run a ton, it doesn't seem like, um, but he can move if he needs to. The receiving core isn't great, but I think the offensive line could be really good, and I frankly just think Bryce Young's a really good player. The guy was first pick in the draft. You know, it's not like there should be low expectations for him, but, you know, maybe I, I, I have a lot more Bryce Young than I have Anthony Richardson because of cost at this point. Now, my, my final question was going to be, do you see a big difference between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud short-term, long-term, you talk very glowingly of Bryce Young there. Is that dictating there is a clear difference, in your opinion, between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud for fantasy, maybe long-term, or is it in on Stroud? I just think Bryce Young's a way better prospect than C.J. Stroud. That, and that's, that's like, I, I, I mean, I don't even know if you could say Stroud has better receiving core because I, they're both kind of... They're both kind of smorgasbords of mediocrity yeah. and castoffs, right? So, now I just think I'm going to stick. This is where I'm sticking to my priors. I might be wrong on this, but I'm going to stick to my priors and say that I think Bryce Young's a better prospect. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm, I'm there with you too. I, I really like Bryce Young. To me, the, the mental processing screamed a lot of Drew Brees style, and you know I think he's going to be successful. Joe, always an absolute pleasure uh, to carve out some time to have you come on the pod. Please, I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but let them know where to follow you. I know you guys had some big things recently launching at Fantasy Points. Share with my audience. I know Graham did a couple weeks ago. I think that was right before you guys were set to launch. So now I know it's launched. Anything you want to share about Fantasy Points, what's going on over there? Please go. Yeah, the Fantasy Points data suite is something that we've been working on for over a year. Um, it's an advanced data grouping of tables and tools that are geared to the fantasy player and geared to their extremely high level of filterability. Um, like, I mean, the, the, the example I keep coming up with, Paul, is if you want to know who led the NFL in passing yardage in home games, where in which the team won when wins were over 15 miles an hour, you can do that with the Fantasy Points data suite. Like, it's it's there's a lot of filters, and there's Fantasy Points into, built into the tool. So you don't have to take, and we have multiple scoring systems built in, so you don't have to take and say, all right, I'm going to pull this down from this website and then I'm going to convert it to fantasy points. We do the work for you. And it is not complete yet. Like we have, we have the tool out there. We think it's great, but we have so many more features we have planned that we think it's really going to be special. Um, and I think for the hardcore fantasy player uh, or just the hardcore stat nerd, they're going to love this thing. Um, and everybody can sign up for a free seven day trial. Your credit card will not charge until... Uh, you allow it to after that seven-day trial. So uh, I think it's a really pretty awesome product. 
Guys, make sure you're getting over to Fantasy Points, checking out that new product, checking out all their great work. I've gone on record on this pod many times for people who listen to me. I subscribe to three fantasy subscriptions. Fantasy Points is one of them. I'm highly recommended from here at the Saturday Sunday football team. Uh, so, on behalf of Joe, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.